to all the rage on the internet right now, you know the game, uh, tell me without telling me. Have you heard about that? It's a, it's a kind of a game where without using the words that I am or I do, uh, tell me. So it goes like this. Tell me you're single without telling me you're single. Tell me you're married without telling me you're married. Or tell me that you play guitar without telling me you play guitar. Tell me that you like dogs without telling me that you like dogs. During his earthly ministry, Jesus did that quite a lot, but it wasn't a game. It had to do with this wonderfully strange mixture, I think that we don't appreciate enough, of his being God come in the flesh on one hand and being humble on the other. I mean, think about that. God come in the flesh, humble. There were plenty of wannabe messiahs in Jesus' day who would have told you, hey, I am the Messiah, follow me. But you'll search the Gospels in vain for Jesus to ever utter those words. He never says that. But unlike any of the prophets... Jesus did make a number of I am statements. Some of them were pretty astonishing. Up to this point, uh, in John's gospel, we've seen him say things uh, such as in John chapter 6, I am the bread that came down from heaven and I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, we saw him say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And perhaps most astonishingly, or to me, it is, at the end of John chapter 8, he makes this, this incredible statement. He says, hey, before Abraham was, I am. And throughout his earthly life, Jesus' actions spoke for him. In fact, he'll say in uh, John chapter 10 and verse 25, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness of me. They bear witness to who I am. And when we last left Jesus, if you recall, he'd given sight to a man who had been born blind from birth. A man was outside the temple. And Jesus came up to him. He spat on the ground, made some mud, rubbed it on his eyes. And then he said, now go to the, the southern furthest part of the city inside the wall to the pool of Siloam and wash there. And the man did it. And he came back seeing. He'd been blind from birth. And, and that whole exchange angered the Pharisees. It angered the Pharisees. And you know, they don't come right out and say it with their words, but their whole lot of times will say something like it. What right do you have to do these things on the Sabbath? Who do you think you are? And so Jesus is going to tell them without telling them. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate to him, and the sheep listen to his voice. 
He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech. They did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate of the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Lord, your love for your sheep is indeed great. Lord, give us your Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see, ears of faith, that we may understand what you're saying and that we might rejoice in it. Amen. What right do you have to heal this man on the Sabbath? Who do you think you are? And so Jesus is going to tell them without telling them. Who am I? Well, I'm the one who's recognized by his sheep. And Jesus tells them a parable. Now, this is a parable and not an allegory. And there's a difference between those two things. In an allegory, uh, if you've ever read The Pilgrim's Progress, The Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory where, where every individual component stands for something. Parables don't work that way. In parables, there's a single point and the details are incidental. I want to point that out because I've heard a lot of bad sermons by preachers treating parables as allegories. This is a parable that Jesus tells them. And I want to point out to you that it's a parable that's told to the Pharisees. See, it's uh, with the Pharisees that Jesus has, has just been speaking. And after this man who had been born blind finds Jesus, uh, recognizes who Jesus is... Um, Jesus makes a statement. He says, For judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. I tell you the truth. He's talking to the Pharisees. And the whole thing is in response to this interaction with the blind man that Jesus had healed. I guess it was a while ago that we had looked at this, so let me just refresh your memory about it a little bit. Jesus uh, had been outside the temple. There was a man who had been sitting there uh, begging. He was blind from birth, and Jesus came, as I said, made mud, put it on his eyes, told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, clear across the city. And he comes back seeing. 
And uh, the Pharisees are amazed at this, not for a good reason. They're amazed because this guy gained his sight back on the Sabbath. That's a bad thing in their way of thinking. And so they want to know, who did this to you? Why is it that you can see? And we're told that they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. And it was the Sabbath, and the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. And he said, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. And they turn to the man. There's some dispute that goes on among them. They turn to him. And they say, well, what do you have to say about him? Now, you know, this man is a, he, he's, he's blind. He comes from probably a poor family. So what do you have to say about him? It was your eyes who opened. The man, again, I want to see him shrug. He's a, he's a prophet. And we're told that the Jews, the religious leaders, still did not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents and they acknowledge yeah this is our son and he'd been born blind so they call the young man back and they say give glory to god they put him under oath and they say we know this man is a sinner and the man replies well whether he's a sinner or not i don't know i'm not a theologian but what i do know is that i was blind and now I see. And they asked him again, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I think that man's starting to get annoyed at this point. He says, I, I, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why, why do you want to hear it again? Do, do you want to become his disciples too? I don't know if he, if he asked that sarcastically or seriously. Whichever it was, it set them off. And they say to him, after hurling insults at him, listen, we know that God has spoken to Moses. We're disciples of Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't know where he comes from. The man said, well, that's remarkable. You don't know where he's come from, but he opened my eyes. And we're told that to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. That's why you were born blind. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And understand that, you know, when it says they threw him out, it doesn't mean they called the bouncer who picked him up by the seat of his pants and tossed him. It means they disfellowshipped him from the synagogue. And verse 22, we're told that they determined to do that, that anybody who followed Jesus, they were going to put out of the synagogue, disfellowship, excommunicate. And this man now, disfellowship, encounters Jesus again, He didn't know who Jesus was because he'd never seen him. When he understands who he is, the man says, Lord, I believe we're told, and he worshipped him. And that's when the confrontation with the Pharisees ensues, and it's to them that Jesus says, I tell you the truth. And increasingly in the Gospels, from the, the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, increasingly, the benefits of that ministry take place in more and more of a public forum, more and more out in the open. And that's the point of his parable that he says to them, look, I'm not sneaking around. If I was, I'd be a thief and a robber. You'd be right to accuse me of that. But Jesus comes and he enters boldly, publicly, 
um, like he belongs there. Well, John had said that about him, that he'd come to his own. And Jesus says that he knows his sheep by name, and when they encounter him, they know him. You you can picture the image in your mind here that the, the shepherds would come, they'd bring their flocks to the outskirts of Jerusalem, and there would be these community sheep pens in which the shepherds would uh, all put their flocks. How many, how many flocks? I don't know. I guess it would depend on the size of the flocks and how big the sheep pen was. right? And the, and the question that you ask is, so if you've got these kind of community sheep pens and you've got all these flocks going in, how do you keep straight whose sheep belongs to who? Right, when, my, when my boys were little, they had, they had Legos, and they didn't, they didn't mind sharing their Legos, but I have a friend who's got two kids. They have Legos, but they're very proprietary about their Legos. They don't share their Legos. They don't want their Legos uh, mangled. It was, like, it was like a minor catastrophe. No, not so minor. When Dad one day picked up and put all the Legos into one bin, because how are you going to tell whose Legos belong to who, right? How are you going to tell whose sheep belong to who? A while ago, I saw this amazing video, because I'm not a farmer, I don't really know anything about sheep. But I saw this amazing video of a shepherd in Scotland. He was out grazing his sheep. There were a number of people standing around. I didn't realize these were all different shepherds, and there were a bunch of flocks. And they're all out there grazing their sheep. And then this man turned to go, and as he did, he called over his shoulder, and all of his sheep separated out from the big flock and followed him. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the man who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. But the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow them because they know his voice. Not everyone is Jesus' sheep. He'll, he'll say that later to the Pharisees in verse 26. He'll say, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. But I want you to notice here that in answer to this uh, question, it's an implicit question, you know, who who do you think you are? Jesus has uttered no I am statement. He's just spoken in this parable. He's come in the open, and his sheep, like the man born blind, hear his voice Hear him call and follow him. Jesus is telling us who he is without telling us who he is. And the Pharisees say, we don't get it. Right? Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. They didn't get it. Do you get it? Do you get it? They didn't get it. So Jesus tells them again who he is without telling them who he is. He says, who am I? 
on the gate. Jesus said to them again, I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and may have it to the full. And, and so now Jesus says, I am, and he uses uh, another metaphor. This is a separate metaphor. See the, see the one of saying, well, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep? They didn't get that one. So he uses another figure of speech, another metaphor, another parable, and he says, I am the gate of the sheep pen. It's a, it's a, it's a different figure than what he was just speaking. And the figure that he uses here now is not of a community sheep pen, but of a specific one. And what he says is that, look, I'm the way in, and I'm the way out to green pastures. And anyone who enters by me will be saved. You know, we we read those words as 20th century American evangelicals and if we assign some like specific religious meaning to it. But the question is, saved from what? And I think the answer is, what do shepherds save their sheep from? They save them from everything, anything that needs to be saved. This man who was born blind, he was saved from his blindness. And the shepherds come to save his sheep from anything they need to be saved from, anything and everything that separates you from abundant life. Which, by the way, is found in God. That's who we were created for. And we waste so much time. Some people waste their whole lives looking for it somewhere else. Trying to find Fulfillment in the popularity that they'll gain on social media. Trying to find uh, fulfillment in some other thing. You know, much later, Jesus will tell his disciples, he'll say, look, I'm, I'm the way, and no one can come to the Father but through me. And, and he's come to save us from everything that separates us from God. He says, all who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. And that's a hard one. What's Jesus saying here? That all who came before me, is he saying that, that all of those teachers who preceded me, including Moses and all the prophets, they're all, they're all thieves and robbers. I don't think Jesus is saying something about them. He's telling us something about himself. He's answering the question, who do you think you are? He's telling us who he is without telling us who he is. And he says, all who came before me. Now, you know, that could be translated, very possible to translate it, to understand it. All those who preceded me in time, who came before me in time, And the Greek construction that's used there can mean that, but Bauer's Greek lexicon doesn't think that's what it means. Because before me can also mean in front of me, in importance, 
And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we have a phrase very similar to that in Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 7, when God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You will have no other gods before me. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers. By the way, my translation says, were thieves and robbers. The Greek text has that in the present tense. They are thieves and robbers. All those things that come and are before me steal life. I've come to give life. But what, what exactly is Jesus saying about himself? Jesus is telling us who he is without telling us who he is. And, and they're not getting it. Are you? Who do you think you are? So Jesus will tell them by telling them or about as close as he's going to get by saying it directly. He says, I am the good shepherd. Now the teachers of the law were called to be the shepherds of Israel. Unfortunately, they were not good shepherds, most of them. The words of Ezekiel, the prophet, I think, were applicable to them. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. That's a pretty good description of the Pharisees. I mean, imagine, friends, I just want you to imagine that for a moment, of being upset that somebody was healed on the Sabbath. Jesus says, in contrast to that, I am the good shepherd. How could we miss his meaning? The Lord is my shepherd, and so I will lack nothing. O Lord, save your people and bless your inheritance and be their shepherd forever. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites and he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And the good shepherd loves his sheep so much that he didn't come merely to risk his life for the sheep, though that would show great love. You know, Every once in a while, there'd be somebody who has a, a pet or an animal that loves that animal so much that they will put their life at risk in order to deliver, in order to rescue that animal. He didn't come to merely risk his life. He came to give his life for them. The shepherd came to assume the place of the sheep. It's a remarkable thing. This one who says, I am the good shepherd, is 
the Lamb of God, who by his death will take away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus didn't die a mere martyr's death for a principle like Socrates. He died for his sheep. He died for people like you, for people like me, to bring us to God and to give you abundant life. Do you hear his voice? Are you languishing with no soul or trying to find one on the internet? Or in your possessions or in your position? Or in glamour or in glory or in beauty or in brains? You were created for God. You were created to worship God. Now, I want to be clear about this. God does not need you to worship him. God would still be God, sufficient to himself, if the whole of the universe, uh, angels and human beings, dead or living, did not worship him. But you need to worship God in order to be whole, in order to be full, in order to be complete. In other words, in order to have life and to have it abundantly. I had a neighbor once who had a, um, a sheepdog, a border collie. It's a really uh, amazing dog, but... Um, you know, border collies are smart dogs, and um, they're, they're, they're really, they're, they're, they're scarily smart dogs. And border collies, they, they need work, they need a job to do, and they need space. They need to be able to run. And this family, I know, that, I mean, they, they, said, they said, oh, we just love the dog so much we can't give it up. But they kept this dog cooped up in a small kennel throughout the day when they were at work. You could hear the dog barking and crying in its kennel in the house. And then they'd let the dog out in a fenced yard that was way too small for this dog, and it would just prance the fence line back and forth looking for something to do. Until the poor dog eventually developed seizures and then died. Because living an inactive life in a confined space is not what that dog was bred to do. And living your life chasing fulfillment in things rather than in God is not what you were created for and it will suck the life out of you. So Jesus came, not just to make a way, but to be the way. Not just to point you in the direction of God, but to bring you to God. And he can do it. And you know why? Because he is God. I am the good shepherd. 
Were they so blind as to not understand what he meant by that? Do you understand? Do you hear his voice today? You want to follow him? Jesus is gentle and humble in heart, and in him you'll find rest for your soul. He's telling you who he is. Are you listening? you pray with me? We do it so often, Lord, our, our first parents, our, our first father thought that they could find fulfillment for themselves and things they did for themselves. And Lord, we sit here today in, in church and we, we know the Bible, we know what it says, we know the gospel, and, and, yet, and yet so often and so easily we, we run and we put our attention and our focus on other things because we think that they'll give us life. We think that they'll bring us fulfillment. And when our souls wither and dry out and we hardly know why, Lord Jesus, you have come to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. Oh, please open our eyes that we may see who you are, that we may believe it, that we may embrace you, and that we may worship you. And Father and Spirit, through you, Because, Lord, it's what we were created for. And we're incomplete and we we languish without it. Let that be foundational to our lives in that great blessing. All other blessings are truly blessed. Apart from that blessing, all of the best blessings that we chase after are nothing but a curse because they separate us from you. Give it to us to know who you are and to worship you. Amen.